listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Welcome to Syntax. Today we're going to talk about the server-side phenom... phenom- uh, let me start that again. <laughs> What's a different word for welcome? Howdy. Howdy <laughs> to Syntax. <laughs> this is the episode about server-side fundamentals. So we've done a couple episodes now. We did CSS and HTML fundamentals. We did uh, a show on JavaScript fundamentals, and they have been doing super well in terms of listens and, and the feedback that we're getting from people. So um, we've been planning this one for a while, just sort of piecing together what do we think the fundamentals are to understand about the server side. Um, and that's what we're going to dive into today. A um, couple quick things. First thing, we're sponsored by Sentry and FreshBooks. Sentry is going to do all of your error and bug exception tracking. And FreshBooks is going to do your cloud accounting. With me, as always, is Mr. Scott Talinsky. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing good. Doing really good. The day we're recording this, I, we just got news yesterday that uh, Meteor was acquired. And those of you who know that my platform is on Meteor. So I'm really excited because... Uh, it means that the future of Meteor might be a little bit different than I was anticipating. And who knows? Maybe I will stay on the platform for a little bit longer. We'll have to see. But interesting, exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Also, hockey starts today. So I'm, I'm excited about that. That sure is exciting. It's funny that the American on the podcast is excited about hockey starting and the Canadian does not care. <laughs> Uh, just a, a funny little uh, paradox there. That's not a paradox. I wish I could get excited about hockey. Honestly, it's so fun. Like I, I like the like getting together with the beers and having some wings with the boys and <laughs> and all that. But like it, the actual watching hockey, same with like oh, whenever I hang out with my buddies, they all like play FIFA on oh on yeah. thing, and I'm just like, this is so boring to me. I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the server side fundamentals, um, we're going to attempt to kind of go through them. I asked on Twitter what people thought what were the server side fundamentals. This is not going to be an explainer episode because we could probably do an entire episode on each one of these things, but more of a high level overview of like, what really are the fundamentals? What are the things that you should know if you feel like you're trying to dive into to server side? Um, so Scott and I are both full stack devs. We're by no means like expert backend developers, but we know our way around a request and we know how to send a response. And uh, we've deployed many a websites in our day. So I think we're we're pretty qualified to talk about something like this. Yeah, we got we got backend skills where it matters. And I think that's what's important. Totally. <laughs> so the first thing you need to understand of uh, the concepts of uh, server side is that the request and response, um, essentially the way that the web works is that somebody types in uh, URL to your browser or they make a request from an iPhone app or something like that, that will ping a server. And that is what is called a request. And that with that request comes a whole bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. Um, sometimes it's cookies, sometimes it's headers, sometimes it's uh, body data, things like that. And then you are on the server, you get that request and then you can do some work, you know, whatever it is that you need to do, generate templates, uh, find some files, query database, and then you send back a response. And, and with that request and response, there are sort of two main things. The first one is called the HTTP method. Um, there's all these different methods that are get, post, put, delete, options. Is that it? I think there's some other weird ones that I've never used. Yeah, never used like any of them other than the, the standards. Yeah. Yeah, get, post, put, and 
very rarely do I even use delete myself. I just use get post. And- yeah. And now that I use GraphQL, I don't even, I just don't even think about it. Yeah. That. You don't have to do any of those, yeah. right? You don't even think about it. You just send your function off and it takes care of it for you. So like what these are, are just different methods that you can use to contact a server. Uh, a get request is similar to how you just go visit a website. Um, and then a, a post request is similar to how uh, when you submit a form and if you've ever mm-hmm. been in like Chrome or Firefox and you've submitted a form and then you try to refresh that page and it says like, do you wish to resend this data? Like you get a little pop down. That's because you're on a page that was rendered by a post request. And by refreshing that, you're resending the post request and that could potentially, I don't know, resave it in the database or or change the page. Or a lot of times people won't allow that request to happen twice. So the thing might break. Yeah. And so along with any of these methods, the server is going to respond with a status code, right? And this code gives you um, information about whether or not the request was successful or not. So there is five, what do you call these, like levels or numbers? I don't know what they, there's five, oh, I guess category headings is what they're listed as here. I don't know if that's the uh, official terminology. Yeah, it's kind of five categories of responses that you might have. Right. And they're basically listed through a 100 level, a 200 level, a 300 level, a 400 level and a 500 level. And now largely we don't I don't know how many of these you end up seeing, but the main ones that you see uh, are largely some of the ones that you've probably seen in your own work. For instance, a 200 rate response is means, hey. A-okay. Everything's all good. It's a big old thumbs up. They should just actually return a thumbs up emoji because uh, that's really what it is. And some of the other ones that you may have seen will be like a 307 is a temporary redirect or a 301 is a moved permanently, a permanent redirect. Or I mean, I'm sorry, a 308. Wait, what's the difference between a 301 and a 308? Oh, a 301 is the standard redirect and you use that for SEO. I've never seen a 308 before. It says experimental. Yeah, I I have never seen that either. That's when I saw that. I was like, huh, am I missing something here? Uh, But then some of the other ones you you may have encountered, you probably wouldn't have encountered a 308 because it's experimental, but would be like a 400, right? A 400 is a bad request. Didn't work. Something failed there. A 401 would be an unauthorized request to something you might see. A 403 is a forbidden hate. You, you can't you can't be here. And then a uh, 404 <laughs> is probably the most common, uh, not for any reason other than you're probably just seeing these as jokes a lot. Or you've ran into a page that you Googled and clicked on the link and it's no longer there. And it's a 404, 404 page not found or just a simply a not found response. That might be one of the most common. There's also a 500 error, which is internal server error. So I mentioned these number codes, 100 through 500. There's a 100 code is an informal. A 200 is a success. A 300 is a redirection. A 400 is a client error. And a 500 is a server error. So those are the different classifications. And now you'll know if you see a 500 come along, you'll know that there was an error on the server. Uh, and likewise, uh, you know, a 300 comes back, you'll know that there's something having to do with a redirection or a 200 comes back and that's an okay. The funniest one that I've run into in real life is a 418. Did you, have you run into a 418? Yeah, it was, well, I was so mad when I did too, because I was working with Vimeo's API to upload captions and like you had to upload them in like 
I forget. It was a weird way that you had to upload it. And something was broken with the API and it just kept returning 418 I'm a teapot. And I was like, <laughs> and like no helpful information at all. Um, oh, I remember being so and like and clearly the the developer behind that, because you, the developer, are responsible for sending these different codes yeah. depending on on what happens. Right. Like mo- a lot of times people just send 200. OK. And then they say an error happened. And that's not what you should do. You should send like a, a 404 or 401 or a 500 or, or something like that. Or, you don't. you know, you never send a 500 because if the server falls over, it sends a 500 for you. And you're you're responsible for sending all of these different numbers along with your response to the user. Like if you're rendering out a not found page, you also send the code along so the browser knows what happened. Um, and then there's a teapot one, which is a joke when it was defined in 1998 as part of an April Fool's joke. And it was actually implemented by most servers. <laughs> so you can send a 418. I'm a teapot, but. I'm sure the developer at Vimeo was just having a, a, like, just joking, like, this should never happen. I'm a teapot. And then it actually did happen. It ruined my day. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, I've never seen that one in the wild. And and that's not, it's, it is a funny joke, but at the time that you would get one, it's probably not a funny joke. (laughs) No, no. Um, Next, we have, like, just basically understanding what a server is, because you think, like, a server, that's like a computer that's connected to the cloud somewhere, right? It's a computer. Yeah. Um, but and and then you hear about like whip up a quick node server or something like that, or a PHP server. But then you also see these things like uh, Apache, Nginx, IIS, which is mm-hmm. Microsoft's Caddy, which is a really popular one with SSL baked in. Tomcat. These are all different types of servers. So like like what are those? And just like real quick, um, the sort of the idea is that like if if you're thinking about Node or PHP, those languages. You can build a server in those languages, but generally what happens is that you run something like Apache or Nginx um, and they handle all of the incoming requests and they do things like handle static files, they handle redirects, they handle proxying your application, um, and they're much better at doing that. They also will handle SSL certificates. They do like the hard work of that. Um, and then they just pass off the request to your actual application. So you can run a, a website without them, but I'd say almost everybody runs one of these web servers in front of their application. Yeah, definitely. And ports, just like you have on just about anything, right? You On your computer, you have ports and ports are open. So information can come and go via ports on your computer. My you, MacBook doesn't have any ports. No ports. Oh yeah, it's got uh, USB-C ports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good joke. Eh? Yeah, that was a good joke. That was a good joke. This is the kind of joke that I would tell to Courtney and she would just be like, what are you, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ports. So ports are, again, you'll typically see this, especially when working on a local host or something where it says local host colon three zero zero zero. And that 3000 is the port that is uh, your application is running on. And typically those are local ports or things that can only be accessed from internally within your computer. But did you know you can also open up those ports so people can also access those from your IP and a port. Uh, that's largely how people might run a server or something off of a home computer. There was actually, um, it's like a really bad Reddit thread where somebody was like, I want to run a website and I can't get my port open correctly on my computer. Like, well, why don't you just host it like anywhere else? They're like, I want to host it the right way and I want to host it 
on my computer in my bedroom. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the ports are the ports that are available and open. And largely when you run an application, it's what port you're running it on so people can access it. And then eventually you're pointing your domain name at a a specific IP and port uh, so that it will be able to access that application. But the ports, again, um, it's just basically you think of like a porthole or something. It's a way that things can go in and out of the server. You don't actually point a domain at a specific port. You just point a domain at a I don't think you can actually. You, you just point a domain name at your IP um, and then you can run different ports. So generally, you're if I have like three node apps yeah. and I, I have this on one server, if you want to run three node apps on one server, you have to run them on all different ports. Correct. Yeah. Um, and you can run one on port 80, one on port 443, and those are HTTP and HTTPS. And then there's port 22, which is for SSH. Um, but like, then you kind of run out unless you want your like users to go to port 3000, which n- nobody does. Sure. Um, so w- what you do is you, you have an Nginx or an Apache config that will run on 443 HTTPS and then it will proxy. Yeah, it'll proxy it for you underneath the hood. So even like if you go to reactforbeginners.com, I'm actually running it on like port 3000 or port 6969 or something. But then it just shows it running on port 443, which is HTTPS. Correct. Yeah. OK. Yeah, that's why. So I've always run Nginx to proxy my apps. Uh, I've never run anything directly out of the port. Yeah, me too. And it's it's my least favorite thing to do is to write Nginx configs. And I always like wish that there will be something like um, PM2, which allows you to run multiple pro- node processes on your server. I always wish that that would like hook into something like Caddy or Nginx and just like just do it for me, you know? Yeah, I do know. Next up, we have just database connection and interaction. I don't think a whole lot of database stuff is necessarily a fundamental of server side. Um, but just knowing that the idea of a database is generally that it is hosted on a separate server. It can be hosted on the same server, but almost always you will host a database somewhere else on another server that is running the software um, that can save MySQL or, or, or MongoDB or something like that. I think that's pretty much all you need to know as a fundamental of server side. Yeah, definitely. And especially because, I mean, as developers, Maybe you've gotten into this stuff via other things, but you don't often think about this when you run an application that is complex like that. You have one server that's a virtual private server, most likely, that is running the software, right? And if that software is chugging that server to make it run slower and the database is living on that same server, then that database is going to run slower. Everything on that server is going to run slower because if it's a server, it's a computer that is struggling to run that software. So a lot of times, besides, you know, other people having figured out those problems better than you could uh, and hosting on a, um, you know, another platform for your database, it's also separating a lot of these aspects that are are related, but not completely partially, you know, not completely tied together. It's a, a good idea to separate some of those things for those reasons. Uh, next up, we have cookies and sessions. So we're not going to go into what they are just because we could do an entire episode on them, but understanding um, what cookies are and and when you have a request, will those cookies come along for the ride? Um, understanding <laughs> just secure cookies. Yeah, I'm just put picturing cookies on a they're on a train car. They're on got a their bus. Hands, hands up in the air. <laughs> Woo! They're along for the ride. And and sessions, uh, what sessions are and, and how you can use them to to save data about the user or or what's going on on your server. 
Word. So the next one we have here is writing files and directory permissions. Now you have to think about this again. It's like a computer, right? And on your computer, you have a user and that user has different permissions and what it can edit, what it can't edit. And this is largely done for, well, security, right? Permissions. And so on a web server, we have these same ideas of permissions. What directories can a specific user access? And that's where the whole idea of root. Root is the root user. The root user can access everything. Now, I don't know about you, but ever since I started following DigitalOcean's server tutorials, I shut off the root user the moment I spin up a, a new server. And uh, that's really just so nobody has root permissions. And then I create a group that has very specific permis permissions to do uh, what I want. That way, in case somebody accesses my system, they don't have access to the root user. Yeah. Or unless the, the root user can only log in via a certain port or something like that. So, uh, you know, I think it's important if you're managing one of your own servers to, if this is your first time managing a server, whether it is on uh, DigitalOcean or another one of these VPS providers, that you do follow some sort of tutorial that really runs through setting up file and folder permissions, as well as like what users can access what. Because the last thing you want is somebody to be able to come in and just start pulling, you know, the, the image of somebody just like ripping out stuff out of a computer. You don't want somebody to just be able to go uh, willy nilly throughout your application or out throughout your server that is. So you're gonna want to make sure that you set up correct permissions and directory permissions, file folder permissions, what, who can read access and write what. And that can be a very common mistake when people are just starting to get into these things is I go to do something, I don't have the permission or my application is white screening because the application itself doesn't have the permission. The application is running as a user that doesn't have a permission to write to this file or read to this file and therefore it's not working. So just know that everything on a computer is just like your own personal computer that has a user that can read, write and access and execute certain things. Do you wanna go over that that whole whole bit here where the the numbers come into play, the six four nah. fours and the seven seven sevens. <laughs> I feel like I'm ludicrous. All, all I know is that uh, I often, when I was learning WordPress, I would often see people suggesting just it's called chmod. Yeah, chmod. Chmod. Shmod? How do you say that? You know, Shmod. I. It's it's funny because I say chmod for for changing uh, permissions, but then I say chone for changing ownership of files. Chone. I say chone for C-H-O-N, but it's like, it's Chimod. like, it's C-H-M-O-N and then it's chone. Like I, it's, it's so funny that I don't do the same system for both of those. Change mode is what it stands for. So C-H mode, mod, C-H mod is, makes sense. They have all just different numbers. And if you want to like make things totally open uh, to anyone that can run, then they suggest that you 777 that code. Um, and I would always see these like stack overflow answers Tons. of somebody being like, got it fixed, CH777, the entire server, and now it's working. And that's unfortunately not a good thing to do. Um, so I don't know, maybe take a little bit deeper and look at uh, permissions and, and how all that works. Well, I think we should, I think we, we don't have to get too deep into it, but I think we should at least say yep. that 777 means that the user, the group, and the world can read, write, and execute <laughs> this. World. So everybody can. Anybody can. This is the 777. Next up, we have headers. So when you make a request, we go back to the start when we talked about uh, making a request via get, put, post, things like that. Um, generally, you can um, send data 
over the wire in, in a couple different ways. And one of the ways is you can send body content along. So like if you submit a form, um, you will send all of the fields that are associated with that form along for the ride. Um, you could, but you can also send that data along via the headers. Um, and the headers will often contain information, things like, like what browser did it come from? Authorization tokens. What type of request was it? Any authorization tokens, content type, uh, things like that. Just so understanding that um, there is often a bunch of information in the headers. And you can sort of like learn about headers if you open up your network tab in your dev tools and just like make any sort of request and click on that request. You can see there's an entire um, there's an entire tab for the request headers mm -hmm. um, and as, as well as the response headers that have come back in terms of like other things like con how big the content is, uh, when it was sent, content type. We'll talk about that. So pretty nifty. It's funny that they, that's where you win. I was going to go to the exact same spot next because that network tab can really give you, even though it is, you know, the the response you're sending and the response or the request you're sending and the response that's coming back, it gives you into a, a huge insight into what these things are actually doing for every one of your requests. I, I've been moving my account system over to Next.js, which is kind of a big deal because Meteor handles all of my accounts. And I was having this bug, so to say, where uh, the user auth token it well, my, I should say my, my authorization was working on initial load, but then any subsequent uh, GraphQL request afterwards, the context would just be an empty object where user would be undefined. And I was sort of confused. I was using a, a package. And then so I was like, you know what? Uh, let me uh, let me just check these headers real quick. And the auth the auth headers weren't being sent on any of the other requests. So obviously none of the requests are going to be authorized because well, when the request goes out, the auth token just flat out wasn't there. So I was checking to see if it was it was there and it just straight up wasn't. So it was an easy fix because, you know, I just had to change essentially one line of my GraphQL request to send those headers along. But uh, the network tab is what allowed me to see that in about two seconds. So uh, that's one of those things that can really give you a good handle on what's going on. Next up, we hear of error handling. So what to do when, when things go awry. And uh, often, I think in PHP world, it's a little easier just to let things break because you could just refresh the page and or try it again and it will work. Um, however, with the, error log. with the node um, server, uh, the error handling will call. In, in most cases, if you don't handle the error, the entire process will will fall over and it will break. And you, that's why you run things like PM2 or forever. And that will restart your your application should anything like that actually actually happen. So that along with like another one we have here a little later, I'll, I'll just talk about it now is having logs because when there are errors, those will go to the logs. And often when there are requests that will be logged and just knowing that there is usually logs on your server somewhere that will detail what happened um, and knowing that those logs can also um, fill up the hard drive space of yes. your server very quickly, um, especially on some of these um, smaller servers that just have five gig little space on them that, that will cause it to fall over really quickly. I feel like that's a rite of passage is to have your server crash because the error <laughs> yeah. logs filled it up. I've had times where I'm like looking at the the usage, the hard disk usage, and I'm just like, what in the world is taking up this much, this like much space on my my server? Oh, it's the logs, the logs that I've just been writing and writing. I've used I don't know if you've used any of these, but I've used paper trail before 
for like logs yeah. as a service. They make it like easier to search and analyze and stuff like that. It could be a little bit of an alternative to something like um, a sentry without the same. It's it's like more or less like here are the logs for everything, not here are the errors and exceptions. Yeah, just the raw data. Yeah, here's the raw data. If for all those data heads out there. Uh, when I had a I had a really good joke, Wes, when you said um, uh, when things go awry and I was going to say, what is this? The bread hour? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> wow. I couldn't get I couldn't get that one in there, but I really wanted to. Um, so sorry about that. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sorry about this. And this is one of our sponsors, which is FreshBooks. And FreshBooks is the cloud accounting software that we know and love. If you've listened to Syntax for any bit of time, you've probably heard us talk about FreshBooks. So with more about that is with FreshBooks is the cloud accounting that you need to keep track of your invoices, keep track of your different clients that you have. You can track all of your hours in there, your expenses, different projects, um, different rates, everything you need to do to manage uh, sort of the finances of your business. And I recommend that you check it out at freshbooks.com forward slash syntax. You're going to get a 30 day unrestricted free trial. And thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring. Yeah. Thank you, FreshBooks. Cool. So uh, the next one we wanted to talk about was async data handling. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I pretty much I don't I don't do a lot of this other than just through my API and promises on that end. But async data handling, what, do you, what did you what were you thinking for this one? I was more thinking like in terms of uh, making your server as fast as possible um, things don't always need to happen sequentially, yep. uh, especially if you are, are waiting on responses from databases or servers and, and just understanding that things can happen asynchronously, especially in JavaScript. It's very easy to do it. Um, and just to sort of be wise about how to run multiple requests concurrently. And then that will make things the fastest because you certainly can put yourself into code yourself into a corner. Is that the saying where you maybe have like 10 different requests and you do one after another and you're like, man, this is, this is getting kind of slow. Why is that? And mm. uh, handling that data asynchronously with concurrent requests is important. Interesting. See, I wouldn't have thought about that as being a fundamental, but it is one of those things that you can foot gun yourself with, you know, I was just going to say that. Yeah. It's like one of these things <laughs> just to know about you don't have to go and study up on it, but just know that like if you ever are doing multiple requests or multiple database queries, know that you could possibly be making it slow if you're doing one after another and look for async strategies if you are running into those problems. Yeah. So, okay. So the next one here is routing, which is a common thing that we talk about in web development terms on the front end and the client side of things. But if you think about it, everything here with our, our server is... Uh, you know, accepting requests for a URL. And that's exactly what it's doing. I think that's like a big problem that people have when they're first learning about client side things is that they they have this disconnect between the client side routing aspect of things and the server side routing aspect of things. There's a long time where people would say, all right, uh, my page works when I navigate to this page, but then I refresh it and the page no longer works. Can you think about that? why that might be, Wes? Routing, is that the answer? That's the answer. No, because if you think about it, okay, so a request comes in to a specific route on your server. And many times, if you have a client-side only application, what you need is a basically a catch-all route that says, hey, I'm going to catch every single route, and then I'll let the client-side router handle what's actually displayed on the page. 
But for those of you who don't do any client side stuff and are just primarily doing things like, you know, whether you have a WordPress or you have a um, any sort of application that runs primarily on the server, that's a full stack application. Uh, maybe you have an express server that's accepting these routes. You might have the route, accept a route and then load a specific page or send a specific response back. So again, a route on a server is the exact same thing that you would encounter in a route on the client side of things. But again, this is the route that the web server is hitting when the user immediately navigates to that page. When the user navigates to that directory, it hits the server side route. And one of the things that HTML5 brought us was essentially the HTML5 style routing where you could have a route that loaded the client side stuff without having to refresh and hit the server. Yeah, it was called push state. And that's that's what push all of the React router, all of the routers for your single page apps, yep. those all use push state underneath the hood. Did you ever use PJAX? PJAX. Um, PJAX was like the coolest thing in the world when it came out. PJAX.herokuapp.com. I have that memorized because I used to love this stuff. Uh, PJAX was back in the jQuery days before you had oh, client-side yeah. frameworks. And so PJAX stands for, um, what does it stand for? It stands for push state plus AJAX. Yeah, push state plus yeah. AJAX is PJAX. And it's basically a jQuery way to swap out the page without having to do a full client or a full server side refresh. Yeah. So it would just in the background, go and fetch that page yeah. via an Ajax request and then just swap out the page with push state and then change the entire body out with, with whatever had been returned. I always thought that was, I think in, in rails land, they call that turbo links. Is that what that is? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I remember turbo links. I remember PJAX like blew my mother effing mind when I first did it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. The header doesn't even refresh <laughs> when I'm on the next page. I remember in um, jQuery's.load, you could give it a URL and then you give it an ID of that page and then it would just load like a subset of the returned HTML and then put you could put that in like some HTML and like that was like next level two being able to like yeah, like you said, the the nav doesn't change. Your scroll position doesn't change. Half the stuff doesn't have to refetch. Yeah, and then you can use push date to update the URL. And yeah, that was some some pretty nifty stuff back in the day. Yeah, right. Still is honestly like if you have a server rendered app, you can just you can just slap on a little bit of that, and it makes your experience so much better. I think that's Basecamp is still done that way as well, and I think a lot of GitHub is done that way as well. Interesting. It's just so funny. I've been in, uh, you know, ever since Angular came out, I've been in the framework world. I, I don't even remember what that's like. Drinking that Kool-Aid there. Zip it, zip, zip. <laughs> so, Zipping on the, the Next we have uh, mime types, which, uh, so you've got your like circus mime, uh, and then you have your uh, European holiday street mime. And what other kinds of mimes are there? Let's um, keep going. Let's, let's keep going on some mimes here. We got we cartoon got, mime. Yeah, we got a cartoon mime. We got the um, the, you know, the person on America's Got Talent mime <laughs> types of mimes. Mime, you got a French mime, which has like the baguette in the, the hat. Oh, yeah, that's a classic mime. There's a mime who is a B-boy who became a mime and he does this routine where he like pulls a string out of his mouth and it just keeps going and going. And you're like, oh, I know that's just like a tape measure thing in your mouth, but it's still fun. 
<laughs> what we're talking about is um, not not actual mimes. Sorry, not actual mimes, but every file type in the history of files has a specific type associated with it. Like a JPEG has a mime type of image forward slash JPEG. A, um, a GIF and a PNG will all have it, and video will also have their own mime types for each one. So the reason why you can call your files with a dot anything like you could your javascript could have like a dot wes on the end mm -hmm. and you could do script source equals scripts dot wes and it would still work as long as your server returns a mime type and even the browser if it gets like a mime type that it wasn't expecting um github actually does this they goof with the mime type of their files so that you can't hot link css and javascript directly from github if you've ever done that I have not. And by default, the servers will take care of this all for you. That's why you have a um, that's why you use something like Nginx or Apache, because if you serve up a .js file or you serve up a PNG, um, the server will try to detect what type of file that is. And then part of the header is the type mm -hmm. is a type. And that that gives you the, the MIME type that's sent along. So very rarely do you have to do that yourself. But it's good to know that there's these things called MIME types. I think that time you probably run into that the most is when like uploading an image or something, right? Cause you have to define yep. the format of the images or the files that it will accept because otherwise that file input isn't going to accept like just willy nilly. I just had somebody say like, Hey, I tried to upload a GIF to my avatar. I don't accept GIFs as the image upload type. So we block those. So they're, that's why they're hitting that error. And now I know I have to write an error bit of code. So say, Hey, this file type is not supported. Uh, go ahead. Um, that's a, a fail on my part. While we're talking about this, one thing that really grinds my gears is apps and websites that don't accept uh, the new iPhone uh, high efficiency image format. Mm. So when you take a uh, a photo on your iPhone, it gives you a hike, H-E-I-C, which is for pictures. And when you upload that, it's like, oh, it's not a JPEG or a PNG. Mm. Don't know what to do with that. And it's really annoying because I have to like convert them. I have like an app on my desktop. I have an app called Hike Converter with from it's just from Sindre Sindre Soros. Probably butchered that, but update your app so that you can upload hikes because they are same with like WebP as well. Like th they're the future and we should be able to to upload those things. Yeah, absolutely. And as somebody who just got an iPhone. That's suddenly a problem I'm actually interested in, as opposed to a problem I might not have been as interested in. As opposed to not having problems with Android. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, none. No problems. And we like to transition into the sponsor when we talk about bugs. And your server can also have bugs. I have two. Mine does. Yes, mine does. Yes, absolutely. You in have fact, two I, bugs? Yes, I have two bugs. No, I have two of these accounts. Well, not two accounts, but I have two of these uh, projects within my Sentry. Now, Sentry at Sentry.io is an error and exception handling tool that will not only just work with your front end code, but it's going to work with any server side or back end code as well. So I have a Sentry project for my API as well, believe it or not. And that way I can see all sorts of errors. Now, what kind of errors do I have? Well, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, let's see. Um, is a GraphQL error field create course uh, must not have selection string. So I goofed up. I have to adjust my API. That said, 
this isn't public yet. So uh, this is a bug that I don't worry about users seeing. So you know what I can go as I can come in here and I can say, ignore this bug. Even though this bug is a part of a release, it's not a public facing bug. And I don't have to think about this bug ever again. So if you want to be able to catalog and know exactly what's happening on your server, head on over to Sentry at Sentry.io and sign up using the coupon code TastyTreats, all lowercase, all one word, and get two months for free. So that's Sentry.io, coupon code TastyTreat. Let them know that you heard about Sentry from Syntax. Last thing about Sentry is that they just closed a big round of funding. Ooh, so congrats ooh. to them. And they are hiring. Uh, so if you want to work for Sentry and possibly have Scott talk about your sweet features, <laughs> go to Sentry.io forward slash careers. They're hiring in San Francisco, Vienna and Toronto Ooh. for my Canadian folk. Ooh, Vienna. Vienna sounds warmer than Toronto. Is it? I don't know very much about Vienna, so it just sounds nice. It's got a nice name. It, does. it sounds like it's someplace yeah. I'd like to go. All right. Next, we'll talk about authentication. So different ways to add auth to to an application. So I would say authentication is an advanced topic, but knowing just about the basics of the different types of authentication. So at the very basic, you have this thing called basic auth, which is it's literally you type your username and your password into the browser uh, with like if, if my username was Wes and my password was boss, it would be Wes colon boss at and then the domain name that I want. So that's that's very basic, basic auth. And we also have this um, concept of bearer tokens, which come along for the ride in your header. Mm -hmm. um, you have JWT, which can come along. It can come along in the header as a bearer, actually. It mm -hmm. can come along in the body. It can come along in a cookie. It doesn't matter. And come along, I like to say, like what I mean by that is that like it gets sent in the request uh, to the server as well as uh, just regular cookies where you have sessions. There's all kinds of different ways. So just having like a primer on on how they all work and, and whatnot, not saying you have to know how to implement all of these because I couldn't do it from scratch. I've, I've done it many times and it's it's kind of a hard thing to implement. Yeah. Auth is not my favorite thing. And it's so funny because it seems like I sometimes pick my platforms based on the things that require me to do the least amount of auth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here we are today. Um, so, OK, next thing is environmental variables. Now, this one's you've probably seen as a ENV somewhere. And an environmental variable is something that your server can read but the client can't read. And this is, makes it a great place to keep all of your secrets, all of those secret things that you don't want the browser to, well, the client side for that matter, to be able to read, such as API tokens, things that you're going to be calling there. And I use um, environmental variables uh, for like database credentials, those kind of things, and uh, be able to load them up in my application server side. And again, allow my application to call them without having to pass that stuff along to the client side. Yeah, I I use a thing called .env. Me too. Which is like a node package that will load them into your environment from a file. However, that file should not go in your um should not go in your version control. You should not have those types of things in your version control because What are your thoughts about that if the version control is private? And will always remain private. Well, like I did it in the past and then I brought a contractor on to work on it. And I was like, shoot, like I can't give them access to my Git repo at all unless I go. Even if I were to take it out, those those credentials yeah, are still in the, in the in the history. So I either have to go back and scrub 
all of these environmental variables from the Git history, or I just had to like, I just made a new repo and we just started from there because mm-hmm. I had done that because like, you don't want to give them, you don't necessarily want to give your like database credentials to a contractor who can like, you don't want them accessing your entire code base or your entire client base. You give them like a, like a test set, right? Yep. And you, you, you don't give them actual access to, to those types of things. And the same thing with like email servers or an API keys and all of that, like just give you, you should have like a separate set of dev stuff. So uh, I've made that mistake in the past. I am also interested in your thoughts on if you were giving an additional contractor or an employee publishable rights, the ability to publish your application, what would you do then? Oh yeah. Like if, if that was the case for me, I would go into the server and make sure that the environmental variables are there. I guess if they can get on the server, then yeah, they can get access to to those tokens. So if that was the case, no, I'd use some sort of CI yeah. where it would it would deploy it for me because yeah, you don't want them necessarily having access to those things. Yeah, I, I, I have well, a, you, a... You can, you but can. yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, I use a CI for that. And I was just wondering what your, what, I was just trying to, trying to get your thoughts on that unprovoked. Whatever I was going. Oh to say. yeah, yeah. That was good. You're a good interviewer. Why? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have, and I think this is the final thing that we consider a uh, a fundamental of of server side, and and that is just deployment in general. So there are so many different ways to deploy things, but I think at a very basic, you should know that you can SSH or SFTP into a box and drag and drop those files up there. Um, and then know that that is probably the most primitive way to deploy your application. It still works fine. It's, there's nothing yeah, wrong with no that. Wrong. Um, but there are lots of different ways to to deploy your application from continuous integration to uh, using a bunch of different apps. Or you can do this like uh, domain name switch over that a lot of things are using now. Or like if you use now.sh, um, they'll just deploy a new instance. And then once it's once it's running, they'll cut over your domain name to the new one. So you don't have any downtime. That's what I do. Just yeah. understanding how how that all works. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. There's a lot here. And deployment can be one of those things that I think is often left to services like now that just do it yeah. very well because you're really not saving that much money. In fact, now is really, really pretty cheap. So, you know, I, I think that when it comes to an application like that where you want no downtime, uh, you don't want to have to drag and drop, whatever, then use something like now. If it's a front-end site, I would use Nellify in a darn heartbeat uh, because of all that built-in continuous integration stuff. So uh, deployment is one of those things that has never been the most fun. I used to manage my own deployments via my own virtual private server with my Node app, and it was just like always prone to goofing up somewhere along the line and um, you know potentially having some downtime. And I say that as somebody who's not an admin, like a sysadmin. Although I'm sure if you are a sysadmin, you're probably setting up your own container flow. And I think that's probably where things like Kubernetes or, you know, Docker really shine. Yeah. You start to spill out into this like sysadmin person now where (laughs) like also like it's for sure worth it for like companies that are super big to figure all that stuff out themselves. But for for you and I, you're just getting into this fundamentals. You got enough stuff to worry about like ports and proxying and all of this stuff that it makes sense. Like probably 20% of the stuff is off your plate. If you, if you go and use a different service to host or to do auth or uh, to do image uploads, things yeah. like that. And then you have to um, worry about, you can always learn that stuff. So many things, security, 
I mean, like I would rather offload security to a company that like specializes in it. I just would. And it's a small, small price to pay to not have to manage that stuff. That said, if you are really confident in your skills there, then by all means, yeah, go to town. All right. Um, we just got a list of stuff because anytime we ask for like suggestions on Twitter, like what do you think is the fundamentals for this? Then you, you almost always get things that are like the most advanced stuff yeah. that I don't even know myself. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so like uh, some of the things that were suggested as fundamentals that I think are advanced. I'm not sure what you think about these, Scott, but like scaling databases and ORMs, web sockets in real time is kind of an interesting one because it can be easy, but it also can be really easy with Meteor. Yeah, there you go. Um, streams. So dealing with streams and streaming responses. So some of the new like yeah. um, suspense server side rendering stuff is pretty interesting where like I saw some demos where like they're not even running React on in the browser. They're just running it on the on the server and streaming the responses to the browser, which is kind of cool. Did you see that demo? No. You know, streams are uh, a fantastic mystery to me. I was like, just like doing <laughs> some work with streams in Apollo. And I was like, I don't know. I, this is just hurting my brain. Yeah, it's if you want like a really cool intro to streams, look at the Twitter streaming API um, because you can just search for something popular like Justin Bieber and you just boop, 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 boop. You can be getting tons of tweets in, you know, and you can actually like get a good idea of what a stream is. And uh, I always have the stupid. Did I ever do this? The example of like eating a sandwich in streams? Ooh, we did. We talked about a very large sandwich. We talked about yeah. a giant Subway sandwich. And I, I feel like that was a long time ago at this point. And I think people really liked it. So let's reprise that bit. Anyways, we have streams and buffers. Um, and the idea is that a buffer will read an entire file at once or it'll bring everything in at once before you do some work on it. So that's uh, that's like you going grabbing a quick six, six inch from Subway and bringing it home and then eating it. Uh, and then a stream is like, oh, my gosh, I have such a large uh, a large sandwich. It won't even fit into my house. I better start eating it as they're bringing it into the house. So like you're, you're working on eating the sandwich as the workers are bringing the sandwich into the house. Uh, whereas with, with a buffer, you'd wait until the entire sandwich is in your house before you start to work with it. And streams are often helpful for things that can be processed really quickly as they are streaming in like video or like, um, I've done it where I've had like millions of entries in like a, um, a CSV file. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't load a million entries into memory cause it was too big and it just fell over. So I, I had to deal with them and save them to the database as I was streaming them in from reading them. I don't know if that's a good example or not, but sandwiches, man. Can we just call this episode sandwiches, man? <laughs> <laughs> the server side rendering or the server side foundations sandwiches. Why don't we have Subway sponsor this? Uh, oh, yeah, because Subway's garbage. It is. They're in big trouble in Canada. Good. I hope they are. They're trying to sue the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Yeah, I know the CB is, man. I watch hockey. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You got Don Terry on there. Yeah, I know about that. Oh, yeah. Sorry about him. Yeah, they're suing because of chicken, which is hilarious. Apparently, it's not real chicken. Yeah, they're they're awful. Did you hear about this thing in the, I believe it was in, in England or something, where they were hiring employees as quote unquote sandwich interns so that they didn't have to pay them minimum wage? Because they were no interns and they were just, they were just seeing, they were just employees and they were just trying to skirt the lot. That is so darn gross. That makes me, sandwich st- intern. it's so obnoxious. 
that. Goes along with sandwich artists, though. It does. It's a sandwich intern. Yeah, no, screw that. <laughs> okay, let's get into the part of the show that we call Sick Picks. That's where we pick things that are sick, things that we like. Uh, last week, I picked a video game about a goose. Wes, what, did, what, what are you picking this week? I am picking something that I got for free from a company. Um, I will always mention that. And uh, I these are the wise plugs. So um, I own a bunch of cameras. I bought them myself and I love the wise cams. And then they're I think they heard on the podcast they're like, hey, thanks for recommending wise cam. Um, Want to check out uh, this time. We're checking out the wise plugs. It's a plug that you put in and then you can use Wi-Fi to turn it on and off. And the kind of cool things about it is that um, you can also, I also have wise sensors. So if somebody, the, the sensors don't need to be hooked up to Wi-Fi and they, they run on like a coin cell, so you can put them anywhere. So if someone walks by a sensor, someone opens a door, one of those things, then you can trip like a light or, or, or anything to turn on. Um, you can also schedule them really easily with the wise app or with Google um, Google Home, which is pretty cool. So what I've started to do is from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., I turn the fan on in my office and just get it like nice and cool in here before Ooh. I come in. Uh, and then the fan turns off right at 9.05, right when I'm about to, to start working. So they're, they're pretty cool. And they're also like way more affordable than some of the other stuff. Like we were sent the Lev- Leviton plugs, yeah. which Scott famously did not like at all. Well, okay. I should state that when I use them with the iPad that we have here, they were perfectly fine. But the Android app was just like, if I could build an app that was, it was built just as like a a toy puzzle to infuriate the person that uses it. You know, you click on the button and the button moves or something. That was their app, but it was their legitimate app. And I, (laughs) I remember just like getting so angry at that application that, uh, yeah, I, I'm so mad at them. In fact, I, I still use one of the Leviton ones, but I only push the button on it. I don't even use that as a smart outlet. It has a button on it. And I push the button to turn it on <laughs> because that's my life. So like the Leviton outlet was what, 28 bucks. I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. And the wise plugs are two for 15, which is awesome. So Ooh. I'm a big fan of everything that wise does. I've been trying out the plugs for a couple of weeks and like they're not that exciting. They're plugs and you can like you can do stuff with your cameras or with your sensors, which is kind of cool, but they work. They work well and they're they're affordable. That should be their tagline. They work. <laughs> eh? Shrug. <laughs> <laughs> they work. <laughs> what more do you want? They work. They work. Hey, come on. Uh, what about you? So I have a YouTube sick pick and this is a YouTube channel called I think they just it's a it's a guy, Sam Crack. Sam Crack. Yeah, love that. Love Sam Crack. Yeah. yeah. So what he does is he he fixes sort of totaled cars that he buys at auction. And so he'll some of my favorite videos of his, though, are where he's just like wandering through a car lot and is just like, oh, he's just like pointing out what's wrong with these cars. OK, this car is totaled. It's a, you know, $200,000 Lamborghini. It looks pretty good, but check this out. It's got frame damage. This is what it's going to cost to fix. And so he can look, look at these things and know whether or not these projects are good or not uh, based on just a quick glance at them. And it's pretty fantastic because sometimes he'll buy the car and get into it and realize it's not as bad as he thought it was. And sometimes it's not as good as he thought it was. And I've just found it to be awesome. So uh, Sam Crack, I, I've been obsessed. There's a ton of these videos. Uh, I find it to be just just endlessly fascinating from a, a tinkerer's point of view. 
He's not like it, yeah. it's like the classic like, hey, guys, we're doing this like sort of YouTube that I almost can't yeah. stand. But I find the content to be good enough where it doesn't necessarily matter. And I like to put this stuff on before I'm going to bed just to chill me out a little bit. It's like a tinkerer sort of TV. And, and that's what I'm into. I'm into this. I watch a lot of these like rebuilder car rebuilder shows, yeah, which is funny because I, I watch it because I think one day I'm going to convert a car to electric. Oh. And I don't really know all that much about like probably it seems like you're getting started with those uh, power. Yeah, wheels. well, I'm starting with 12 volts and like little <laughs> these tiny little motors. But like I think maybe in like five or 10 years, I'm going to take like a really cool like a Land Rover or something and, and like make it electric. Right. And totally. That would be crazy. I don't really know all that much about how cars work. So I've been watching these for probably a couple of years. I love Bia's for Build is one that I really like. Mm. Um, Goon Squad There's is another so really good one. I, that's like a it's a rabbit hole I went down on YouTube and was like, this is not something I knew existed. Yeah. Tavarish is another good one. He just like rebuilds like he's rebuilding a Lamborghini from the Fast and the Furious right now. Um there's there's tons of them. And uh, I, I pick and choose which builds I want to watch. I'm not really all that interested in the like supercar ones. I'm more interested in just like kind of like middle of the road, nice cars. <laughs> I'm interested and, uh, in the supercar ones. <laughs> are the you? Ones yeah. I like the most. Yeah. Yeah. I'll seek out oh, the yeah. supercar ones specifically. Yeah. <laughs> but the BS for build guy is LS swapping a Lamborghini right now, which, which is you take a like a, an engine from like a. I don't know. I'm going to not do this justice, but uh, what is an LS swap? It's like a Chevy. Yeah. It's, it, you take an engine from like a Chevy truck or a Corvette or something like that. And you put it, he's putting it in a Lamborghini, which is bonkers. It's all bonkers. What he's doing. Yeah. Right yeah really cool. I, I, I love those, those channels. It's so fun to watch. And I think you learn a lot about like problem solving and, and how cars work and, and, and whatnot. Word. Yeah. Big fan. Sick pick. Yeah. So shameless plug. My name is Wes Boston. I'm going to shamelessly plug all my courses. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I just did it for tweeted. you. Yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that joke. What's the URL? I'm a boss, boss stuff.com. <laughs> just boss things. <laughs> Westboss.com forward slash courses has all of my courses at it. Thank you, Scott. Yes. Um, I'm actually working on my beginner JavaScript course. I was recording it all day. Just got finished. A big lesson on truthy and falsy, which I was pretty stoked about. It's a fun way to talk about true and false values. <laughs> and uh, so get ready for that. It will be at beginnerjavascript.com when it is ready. Cool. Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to be plugging my uh, Svelte for Beginners course. You get to hear me say the word answer a hundred times in that course because we're building a quiz. And that's one of those words that gets funnier and funnier and weirder and weirder the more you look at it. So we build a quiz. It hits an API. It has a little bit of really fun stuff. We do some animations using the built-in Svelte animation library, which is awesome. And let me tell you, it is so stinking cool. I love Svelte and I want to build everything in it right now because it is too <laughs> darn simple and it makes me like upset at how simple it is. I'm just like, gosh, it shouldn't be this easy. And it is. It feels great. And I absolutely love developing in it. But at the same time, it feels like React where you have the control and the power, but it has the... I mean, what is it? It's, it's got the control of React, but it has the syntax of a Lamborghini. I don't know. Uh, it's awesome. So Svelte for Beginners is at leveluptutorials.com. Sign up to become a pro and save 25% off the year. So that's all I got. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you on Monday. Peace. Peace. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. 
And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.